Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz. Really good to have you here for my favorite type of episode lately, and it's a book club. Most recently, we read Poisoned Water, How the Citizens of Flint, Michigan Fought for Their Lives and Warned the Nation by Candy J. Cooper with Mark Aronson. And we read this month with India Irvin Choi. I love India's content. I found her on TikTok. I found out she was a listener of the podcast. We've connected Y'all, she is so cool. She's so smart. She's so well-spoken. And I am so, so thankful to have this opportunity to chat with her. If you're not familiar with India, she is a content creator. She goes by the tag BME Queen. She is a PhD student in biomedical engineering. She loves to read. She is passionate about issues around BIPOC communities. And she is also a big sustainability advocate. So I've learned a lot from her. If you haven't seen any of her videos, go check them out. She is a really fabulous, eloquent, concise voice to learn from. And she really stayed true to that in today's episode. I think that y'all will really enjoy it. We both mentioned that we didn't know all the details of the Flint water crisis before we read this book. And I am really glad that we did read it and India recommended it because I feel like I learned a lot and she also expressed a similar sentiment. It was a really good experience and I feel like we covered a lot of ground in the book club episode. I think you will learn something. If you're new around here, let me tell you about book club. We do read a book every other month here on the podcast. Last month, we read a book every single month. And this year, we've done every other month per y'all's recommendations. And I love book club episodes because they're pretty chatty. They are not structured conversations. It's me and a friend in the space reading a book, and then y'all can read along with us and listen in on the conversation. And if you don't read the book, I also feel like they're fun episodes to listen to because especially with the nonfiction book, you don't necessarily need to know all the details and all the stories to get a lot out of the conversation and to learn the main points and to discuss those more intricate details, I suppose, of that nonfiction book. So it's good for readers. It's good for y'all that want to become readers. And it's a lot of fun for me because selfishly, I get to talk to people in the space that I admire. I get to speak with my friends, invite people onto the show. I get to make new friends. And I've heard really great feedback about these episodes. So I hope you enjoy this one. If you do, you can rate and review the podcast on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you are following along wherever you're listening to today. You may think that you're tuning in every week, but just double check for me. And you can also find me online. All of my social links are always down below. Eco Chic Podcast, wherever you want to find me. With that, let's get into today's conversation on poisoned water, how the citizens of Flint, Michigan fought for their lives and warned the nation. Hope you enjoy. India, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. I am feeling really good today. Good. I'm so glad we can do this, especially because you mentioned that you are a book club fan and you've listened to these episodes before. And I'm so glad that we could do this together. 
Yeah, I'm an avid reader and I've recently been reading a lot of sustainability stuff. So super excited to be here and, you know, talk about the book. Okay, I'm excited. Well, this book was your pick, Poisoned Water. Tell me what got you into it? Because you said it had been on your want to read list for a little while. Yeah, so I actually read another book called The Intersectional Environmentalist. That's by Leah Thomas. So she is a huge um, environmentalist um, on Instagram and just social media in general. And she put out her own book. And in the appendices, which I normally never read, I don't know why I just like randomly decided to read, but she had um, other book recommendations in the back of her book. And I was like, oh, I'm just gonna scroll through and see what it is. Um, so the two books I added to my list were what we're gonna talk about today, so Poison Water. Um, and another book, I can't remember the exact title, but it's about um, how Hurricane Katrina impacted Black and Brown communities after, so during like, the cleanup. And that is also a really good book that I recommend. That's where I got the, the book recommendation from. So I read her book and I put it on my list and then it just, as my, my list is so long, right? So <laughs> um, I didn't get a chance to, to read it. But then when you reached out to me, I was like, oh, I know the perfect book. I want to read this one. So yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I'm really glad that this was the book we chose to read for this episode because I really didn't know that much about the Flint water crisis. Like I knew about it from the news, but I've never really sat with information and data and the stories. So this was a really interesting experience for me. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting too. So I had only really seen it through um, Little Miss Flint. So she's also another um, advocate. Oh yeah, she's great. For anyone who may not know who she is, so she actually was, I want to say like four or five when the Flint water crisis started and she became an advocate in Flint for getting clean water. Um, So she almost became like the child face of the movement. And since then, I think she's like 14, 15. She's at least a teenager at this point. And she's still, you know, advocating for clean water and other um, resources for the city of Flint. So that's the only thing I really knew about it, right? I saw knew her face. I knew what she um, stood for. And, and that was it. So it was really interesting to read the book and, and hear about other people that were impacted by the water crisis as well. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought her up because something I was thinking about throughout this book that while I was reading it, I admittedly like disliked that there was such deep stories about individual people. And then when I was done, I was like, that was incredible. That was so necessary to the story. There's something about attaching a person and a story And someone who is not outwardly calling themselves an activist necessarily, like the stories of regular people being featured in this book is so powerful because you recognize that this crisis was affecting every single facet of their lives. And it was really incredible to read the stories over time of these mothers advocating for their children and these people going to city council meetings. And it just gave it this personal touch that I didn't realize I needed to appreciate, Mm -hmm. I guess, a crisis in retrospect. Yeah, I agree. I think as a scientist, you always like want to look at the data, right? And then you always want to like, see how many people it impacted, like, um, what are the effects? Like, what's the percentage changes, like all those things. But when you start to look at individual people, it really starts to like put in perspectives for you. Instead of looking at the numbers, right? There's a human face that's tied to it. And the the book actually had pictures too, which I I like. I love pictures in a book. Um, but it has pictures as well to, you know, like it's high a face to the names and to the stories. Um, so it really makes, makes it personable for you to be able to connect to, to everyone. I don't know what I was really expecting from the book, right? But it was definitely more than, than what I was expecting. 
I don't know. I thought it was going to be more of a like scientific kind of like, this is what happened. This is um, why the water crisis happened, or this is why the water had lead in it, you know, how that happened. But it was, it was definitely more personable. And I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. I think that another layer to that was recognizing that there's not necessarily a villain that you can pinpoint in this story. There were so many layers of events and of hardships that really led to this water crisis. So it starts off discussing the decreasing population of the town. People are moving out. The automotive industry is just not what it was. And they have no taxes and they have this aging infrastructure. And I could understand why a city official would think that this was like a noble effort to save people money to switch over their water sources from, I think it was Lake Huron to Mm -hmm. the Flint River. And it sounds kind of noble. It's like, oh, we don't have tax money and we need to save people money and we have increasing rates of poverty and X, Y, and Z. And we're just going to treat it ourselves. And then of course, it's like immediately a disaster and everyone knows that. But Mm -hmm. is it then an issue of like, should we have fixed the infrastructure? Should we have raised taxes? Like what was actually the reasonable solution at the time? And I think that was one of the most frustrating parts about learning more about the Flint water crisis is that it really wasn't one thing. There were so many things that kind of went wrong in order for this to happen. Mm -hmm. So when I first started reading it, my, I guess, perception was like, it's the local politicians fault, right? Like they're the ones that are, that are driving everything. But then they also describe how General Motors, so the automobile industry really like impacted the community, right? They employed everyone in the, in the neighborhood. Like they were a large um, employer, which means that a lot of people are depending on the automobile industry to do well. So when that tanked, it was like, okay, we never option. So that was my first impression. But then as I started to read more, I was like, well, wait a second. The Flint River was previously, in I think the early 1900s, used as a water source. So it was like, maybe this wasn't as bad as an idea as, as you know, we initially know it as now. But then you continue reading and they talk about, well, the engineers or the, the water scientists that were working on the, the water plant had said, this isn't going to work in the time frame that you need it. So you know, there's, it's, it's such a multi-layered problem, right? It's like, is this an engineering problem? Is this a politician problem? Is this a, a large corporation problem? Right. And then, and the, in the end, you know, the people end up suffering for it. So. I'm glad that you mentioned General Motors because I felt like while I was reading this book, General Motors was its own character. Like it was constantly brought up in every level of issue that arose And General Motors as a character, I think, is really interesting in this story because it starts off as, like you said, it's the savior. Everyone is depending on this company doing well and this industry really thriving in Michigan. And then it goes on to note, I thought it was really interesting when the people were advocating for cleaner water and we have pipes and we have all these rashes and we have all of these problems And General Motors stops using the water in Flint because it's corrosive. And the city officials kind of let that go. And they were like, okay, that's fine. That's $400 million of taxes that we're going to lose. And it's not good enough for cars, but it's good enough for people to drink. And it was like a point that could have been the signal of the end. It could have been Mm -hmm. the canary in the coal mine of General Motors can't even use this water. 
And then it continues and continues and the problem just gets worse and worse. And people continue to advocate for themselves and continue to point to General Motors as being the, again, like this canary of sorts. And no one cares because General Motors was the only one making money and contributing to taxes in this situation. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Quick break to tell you about our sponsor today, Dame. Here's the deal. Having a pleasure practice is good for you. It can improve the quality of your sleep, help you de-stress, relieve pain, and give you that lit from within glow as you go about your day. But most importantly, exploring pleasure on your own helps you get in touch with yourself and learn more about what you like. So check out Air, the suction vibrator from Dame Products. Air is a powerful arousal tool for fans of oral stimulation. Or if you're looking to share pleasure, Dame Products has also designed Eva, the first hands-free vibrator for couples. Boost pleasure and connection with a little toy that won't get in the way. Designed to enhance, not distract from pleasure, Eva is your sex life's new best friend. And whether you go with Air or Eva, or both, Dame Products also has sex oil, an all-natural full-body massage oil formulated with arousing ingredients that you should definitely check out. The best part is that Dame offers hassle-free returns within 60 days, so satisfaction is literally guaranteed. Go to dameproducts.com and use code ECOCHIC today for 15% off site-wide. That's ECOCHIC to take 15% off your first order at dameproducts.com. I'll have the link and code in the show notes. Now back to our combo. Mm-hmm. Yes, that that was crazy. And they even went as far as, I think they said like at a, at a meeting or at a demonstration of some sort, they um, took Flint water from the tap and the mayor drank it. And everyone's like shocked, you know, like, like, what are you doing drinking this water, right? But some parts of the city, right, have more contamination than others. So it seemed as though the the mayors or just like the politicians were kind of tapping in those places where the water wasn't as bad and then demonstrating to everyone to the public, like, oh, it's not that bad. But there were other people who actually had orange water you know, coming out of their faucets. And, you know, it was damaging their dishwashers. It was damaging their washing machines and, and all these different like systems in their house. And they're like, no, it's, it's fine. It's fine. I, I also thought that when General Motors changed water, I was like, oh, here we go. Okay. It's going to turn around. Someone's going to, you know, throw a flag and be like, okay, it's over. And that did not happen at all. <laughs> so that really, that really shocked me. Yeah. Yeah. That really shocked me too. And also just the community activism also at this point, like mentioning that the mayor is drinking water in front of people to prove something shows that it was a big enough problem that people are so loud about their water quality and no politician is really paying attention to them or like blowing them off time and time again. And I thought this was a really interesting story of community activism because I feel like I don't really know of a case study off the top of my head where a community has gotten together so loudly and been turned down so frequently. Yeah, 
I think so. The part that stuck out to me with that was, I want to say there was a doctor who put together a report. And then at that point, they started to send out samples to, uh, was it Johns Hopkins? It was a university. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they needed, I think, like, let's say they needed like 50 samples. They ended up collecting like 300 samples, right? And that just goes to show like how many people were invested in, you know, like you said, advocating for their community. I'm trying to think if I know of any other case or scenario off the top of my head, but I think that was pretty amazing that they were like, you know, we need, and it was a church that ran it too. So it wasn't like, you know, a government official that was sending out like official flyers like that. Like it was a local church that said, we need to give samples to this university so we can prove that our water has increased amounts of lead. Um, So that was, that was really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. While we were talking, the other story that comes to mind that they very briefly mentioned in one of the first chapters is the Aaron Brockovich story of Hinkley, California. And that is an interesting case study because it wasn't a story of community activism. It was people getting sick and one person being like, I think something might be going on. And then they involved a lawyer. And sure enough, it was poisoned water throughout this whole town from a, I believe it was like an oil and gas company had been dumping things into their groundwater. But that is still not a story of community activism. Like this is the story of people getting together and having to say, we know that there's a problem. We know that our kids are sick and politicians still not saying anything. At that point, like there's not really a significant lawyer involved at any point in the story. There's not really a significant, you know, like legal uh, ramification for any of this until the very end where the governor gets involved and finally like the emergency manager of the town steps down. And only when there was national attention and like this celebrity outpouring were people being held accountable. Yeah, that's it. it, It's, it's like, it's so good, but it's so sad, right? Because, you know, you have these celebrities that have large platforms and are able to send resources that they were sending like tons of water every day for people, bottled water. And it wasn't until then people were like, oh, wait, maybe something's going on in Flint when they had been, you know, fighting this battle or this war really for, I think, a couple of years at this point. I'm trying to remember the dates. I know they, they switched to the river in 2014, but then it didn't quite get any attention until like 2016. So yeah, I think you're it right. was a long time, like two years without bottled water. And I think what, what really hit home with for me was seeing the cases of bottled water, right? And the pictures that was there um, that were in the book. Um, But when people were describing like their everyday life with bottled water, like taking baths as opposed to taking showers, washing dishes, brushing your teeth, like all the things that I do on a regular basis and I don't even have to think about, right? Like it's, I, at that point I was like, oh my gosh, I'm taking water for granted. Like people don't have access to this stuff and I'm able to just like, wash my hair and go about my day or, you know, wash my hands and it's okay. But can you imagine washing your hands with bottled water? Like it's, it's just, it was nuts. Like, I think when I was reading the book, I was like, oh my gosh, is, is my water safe? Should I be using bottled water? Like I got a little, um, I guess, anxious because like thinking about what these people had to do versus how I live my everyday life. That's really interesting. I've been thinking a lot about bottled water lately because it has recently like really hit home for me the immense privilege that I have in this country, in the city I live in, where I do trust my tap water and I do drink out of the tap and I'm okay with that and I trust it. But that's not the case across 
the globe in a lot of other countries, but even more specifically in the US, there's a lot of places where you can't trust your tap water and you can't drink from the tap. I grew up in South Florida and I did not grow up drinking tap water ever. And yeah, which is interesting. I think it was like a really chlorinated water. And I feel like it, even when I go home now, like it just tastes so funky to me. And that's also weird that I could like discern the taste that people can like taste different kinds of water. Water I'm a water snob entirely. I am. I will admit it. (laughs) So I used to play field hockey in college. So, you know, we had to stay hydrated, right? I was drinking water all the time. And I remember there was one day um, during practice where, you know, they filled up our water bottles and I was drinking it and I immediately spit it out. I was like, what is this? Like, this is gross. And the the trainers, they were like, oh, you know, something happened with the pipes last night. So like it was kind of backed up and, you know, we're trying to like clear it out right now. But like the water is going to taste a little weird for the next couple of days. And everyone on the team was like, well, what are we going to do? Like, you know, we were in the middle of preseason, you know, working out every day, like going to um, several sessions a day. And I'm like, I'm not drinking this. This is gross. Even with like the Gatorade that they, you know, try to make out of it. It tasted so awful. But I'm the same with you. I can taste the difference between different types of water, even like different brands. It's it's gotten to, to that point where I drink so much that I know the difference. I will not drink Dasani. Like that's the one that I'm like, this is absolutely disgusting. That's the one that's like, if we were playing red flag or deal breaker, that's a deal breaker for me. Dasani, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like it's Aquafina for me. I don't, I can't drink Aquafina. <laughs> I won't drink it, but Evian is my favorite. I love Evian. I love Fiji. I mean, I, I will drink tap. Right. Um, but if there's a choice, I will choose Evian. Yeah. That's your like airport water bottle that you treat yourself to. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Every time. Yeah. Everyone has one. But even with that, like, so I carry around a water bottle at the time and a lot of the, um, at least when I'm talking to like friends and coworkers, um, they say like, what's the first thing I can do to become sustainable? And I'm like, Oh, take out bottled water. Like that's like the, my immediate response, mm-hmm. right? Everyone carries on a, a water bottle and you get them for free anywhere you go. Um, what I, but while I was reading the book, I was like, well, what would I do if I didn't have you know, my water bottle to refill, right? Or what if I had a drink, you know, bottled water every time? So yeah, that really put it in perspective for me, especially with the kids at the schools, like they couldn't touch their water fountains. And a lot of those kids grew up and, you know, don't trust that water at all, you know, and will never drink it, even if someone proves to them that it is safe, like they just won't even touch it. Yeah. Yeah. It was really powerful to hear the story of children. And there was points in the book where the authors mentioned, you know, like some kids grow up incredibly cautious and then some kids just didn't take it as seriously. And you could see that in their physical health and their growth over time. And in particular, there was this one story of a mother who had twins and one of the kids was immunocompromised. And she knew that he was growing a lot slower than he should be because she had essentially like a case study, like another kid that was growing at the same rate. And that was really powerful to me. I'm really, really sad. But to see all of the physical implications of poor water quality, that was, Mm -hmm. I think, the most heartbreaking part for me. And it was story after story after story of like these big outbreaks that just like seeing it in kids, that's the worst. Yeah, there was one part where they talked about the teachers in schools and how the teachers had to watch their language around the kids, right? Because 
a lot of the kids were having or experiencing like different neurological disorders. So that reflected in their test scores. So they were now testing lower than, you know, previous years of students. And one student said like, oh, I can't do this. Like our lead is poisoned, right? So they knew that the lead, po- that the, the lead poisoning impacted, you know, their learning capacity um, or at least like their learning disabilities or how they learned. And we're then like using it as a, as a way to not apply, apply themselves, right? So there then had to be these different programs developed like for the kids specifically to be like, yeah, we have this, this water problem, but you are still capable. You can still do this. You can still learn and, you know, go to school, go to college and, and all those things. So that's really what hit me. Cause I was like, these kids don't believe in themselves. Oh no, like, what are we going to do? That was, that was really sad. Yeah. Wait, that was really sad. And the closing chapter of the book was about this kid who, you know, he was set up for failure. He was held back in kindergarten. He was, you know, I don't, I don't remember like all of the hardships of this child, but he basically was like, I always assumed I would grow up and not make anything of myself. And he goes on to Cornell and his personal statement is about Flint water and activism and applying yourself. And it was such a nice way to end off the book because it didn't leave me necessarily like satisfied because I don't feel like there was really a conclusion because yes, like eventually things are getting better, but this should have never happened. And people will live their whole lives with these health issues, but hearing about this kid, like applying himself and getting out of it. And like, just, it was so satisfying to be like, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel for a lot of these yeah. families. Yeah, it was definitely a good triumph story that like at the end of me smile and I was like, okay, some people did well. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like I needed some happy news finally. Yes, yes. Because it, it definitely was doom and gloom for I would say 50% of the book. <laughs> um, but very great information though. And a lot of things, like you said, things that I wasn't familiar with and didn't know about um, in terms of like how water is just treated in general um and then also how the 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 pipe system contributes to our water cleanliness um so i thought all of it was so interesting but i think the the kids it was definitely the story to take it home for me yeah me too i feel like there's something just really personal about kids not that grown-ups like don't have health issues but yeah no, and the dogs different. too, because there were dogs too that also had issues. Yeah, there were dogs. Drink the water. Yeah. Um, just, oh God, it was heartbreaking. It yes, was heartbreaking. it is very sad. Um, but I did look up actually an update to see like where Flint is now. Oh God. Um, yeah, and a lot. So, and near the end of the book, they kind of cover like who resigns, and thankfully, a lot of the local politicians did resign. But there were also some that were facing criminal charges as well for negligence. When I said like the engineers were saying, you know, we can't do it in this time, like you were going to need a longer time frame. And, you know, we had to evaluate more chemicals to see how we can treat the water. Um, a lot of politicians push to say like, no, we need to have it done by, you know, X date. So because of that, and as well as different emails that came through from citizens and people, it was basically just like long email threads of people saying, no, this isn't a problem. No, this isn't a problem over and over again, even though there was data presented in those same emails to point out problems. So some of the politicians are facing criminal charges for some of the decisions that were made or negligence um, overall. 
I'm glad that you looked that up because I didn't get into any specific people when I looked up how's Flint doing now. And I was kind of left when I did my very surface level Google search of Flint, Michigan now, very similar to, again, the closing chapter of this book saying there's independent bookstores. There's now like workspace, communal, those communal workspace, we work type buildings. There's Mm -hmm. coffee shops, like people are living their lives again. And that's good. But this was also such a cautionary tale for the whole country. And I feel like a really good tale of self-advocacy. Because at the end of the day, like, yes, we do have the EPA. Yes, we have the Safe Water Drinking Act. But it's not like people and officials from the federal government are going around and testing the water across the country. It is really up to communities to speak up for themselves and say something when they feel like something's off. Yeah, yeah, that's very important um, because, I mean, ultimately citizens are the residents are the ones that are living there, right? Um, in some cities and states, actually, you can be a local politician without actually living in that location. So it's like, how are they making decisions for us when they don't even live here? So yeah, I definitely echo that. And this is a, a really good story of how a community can really push change um, within you know their, their spaces. Yeah, I agree. I agree. After all of that, how would you rate this book on a scale of one to five? So five being great and one being yeah, bad. Five being okay. best book ever. I would give it a, I'm somewhere around a 3.75. <laughs> <laughs> That's really specific. I love it. So I, oh, oh gosh. I read a lot of books, right? I read mm. a lot of genres. Um, I like nonfiction I kind of want to give it a four, but I'm not quite sold on a four yet. Okay, actually, I'll give it a four. It had pictures in it. I'll give it a four. All right. I appreciate that. I I think I'm giving it a three. I was really satisfied when it was finished, but while I was reading it, yeah, like admittedly, like I said earlier, following the stories of individual people, I was like, this could have been an article. Like this could have been just one really good investigative journalism piece on CNN. But then when I was done, I was like, wow, that was so worth it. That was so satisfying. So I had an interesting relationship with the book while I was reading it. So I'm giving it a three star, but it was a really, it's a high scoring three, dare I say a 3.75. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I think it would definitely be, it would be easily transferable into a documentary, right? Like it's something I would definitely turn on Netflix and be like, yeah, let's watch this. That's why I like I'm at a 3.75 because it's like it was great as a book, but it would even be better as a documentary, especially with those real, you know, people's stories and like having them tell their stories. I would love to see this on Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's a great point. This would be a really good documentary. Mm-hmm. Good point. Good point. Well, you read a lot of genres. Do you have any other great nonfiction books that you would recommend? Uh, either in this general environmentalist genre or something that's just really been a high-scoring five-star nonfiction book for you recently? So one, I would say that took me by surprise. It's nonfiction. It's called We Are Displaced. It's written by a woman who becomes displaced. So I think she is, she's in the Middle East. I don't know what country, but basically there's a war that happens in her village or a war that starts and she ends up moving to a different country. 
And then at some point, I think like a year or two later, she's allowed to move back home, but her village has been destroyed because of the war. So um, she then starts to advocate for women's rights because even after she returns home, women are not no longer allowed to um, get an education. So she actually starts a blog and starts to advocate uh, for women. And then her blog gains a lot of attention and she becomes a person of interest number one by her country. So then she has to flee again to another country and she continues her advocacy work. And I think the, the final country she ends up in is England, um, but she continues her advocacy work and along her journey, she meets a bunch of other women that are doing similar work to her. Um, so who are also displaced, you know, not able to go to their homes, not able to seek um, education and are also advocating for women of their own backgrounds. It's a short read, but it is very good. I think one of the things that stuck out to me was that she says that even though she had gone home, so after the war, she had returned to home, it didn't feel like home. And that really stuck out to me because it's not really the physical environment, right? It's the people and it's what you're allowed to do and the, the actions that you can take, the activities that you can participate in. Um, so we, whenever we think of home, it's like a physical location, but in her mind, it was more of like the, the community that made the home. So we are displaced. That's a really good one. And then um, one that I just recently read is called Nobody Knows What They're Doing. Also another short book. It's like a good airport read, um, but it's really for creatives who have no idea what they're doing, right? And <laughs> want to get some type of motivation. Um, but it really puts into perspective, like how you can, I guess, change your mindset to continuously create, not burn out, but also lead a life that you that you want to live. In reading that book, I realized that no one actually knows what they're doing, even though like people say that all the time, right? But as you read about this guy's um, journey, I mean, it seems like the the opportunity just came out of nowhere, right? And presented themselves to him and he kind of like writes these books and does these artistic things. Um, but I think it's really motivational for, for creatives. So anyone who's like a podcast or a business or, you know, an Instagram page or anything like that, um, that was a really good book too. Oh my goodness. Those are really good recommendations. I would love to read both of Thank those. You. We Are Displaced sounds so juicy for a nonfiction book. Like that sounds awesome. And I can certainly use some motivation uh, when it comes to content creation. I hope you like it. Let me know what you think. I will. I will. Well, thank you so, so much, India, for joining me today. This has been a lot of fun. I feel like we covered a lot of ground. Yes. Yes. I definitely recommend this book to everyone. So if you read it, DM me and let me know what you think. I always like to talk about books. Um, someone told me I should start my own book club, but I'm like, I have too many things right now. So You should. You should. I would love to read with you. I would join that book club. I'll keep it on my list of things to do after graduate school. <laughs> But thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I really did enjoy this. This was a lot of fun. Oh, thank you so much for being here. This was great. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with India of BME Queen on Poisoned Water by Candy J. Cooper with Mark Aronson. I really enjoyed this book. I hope that y'all learned a little something from today's conversation. And I appreciate you hanging out and sticking around. If you've made it to the end of the episode, you can rate and review the show wherever you're listening today and just double check that you're subscribed. Send it in the group chat. Encourage your friends to read the book. And I hope that you read alongside with us in the future. I haven't picked out next month's book yet, 
but I will announce it on next week's episode and I'll also always share it on social media. So if you want to find me online, all of my social links are down below as always. Thanks again so, so much for tuning in to Eco Chic. Really good to hang out with you and I'll see you next week. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.